Hi, and welcome to the Let's Talk Healthy Pets podcast. I'm Dr. Karen Becker, Dr. Mercola's Chief Wellness Veterinary Consultant, and I'm excited to share with you the latest news about pet health to guide you in keeping your animal companions healthy, comfortable, and happy throughout their lives. My goal as a proactive vet is to empower pet owners to make knowledgeable decisions to extend the lifespan and well-being of their animals. If you're looking for more pet health tips, you can also subscribe to my free daily newsletter at healthypets.mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy today's podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and today we have Teresa Strader, who's been nominated by Rose for a Game Changer Award, and we're so excited to have her here with us this morning to tell us a little bit more about the amazing work that she's doing. So welcome, Teresa, and congratulations on your award. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me. And thank you, Rose, for nominating me. Yes, exactly. We we love this community of people that are inspired to want to share about the wonderful people doing amazing work with animals, which includes you. So, Teresa, for people that aren't familiar with the work that you're doing, why don't you back up and let us hear a little bit about how you were inspired to, to start the platform that you that you are working with now? Sure. Yeah. So, so 14 years ago, back in 2007, um, I received a one sentence email asking for help for 50 Italian greyhounds, the little toy breed greyhounds, um, and realized, well, this must be a large scale, you know, breeding operation, obviously that many dogs. And it was, it was actually a big puppy mill going out of business, putting to auction the entire kennel. It was over 500 dogs and 50 worth 49 were Italian greyhounds. So that sparked the whole uh, process of me going to Missouri, winding up at this dog auction now nearly 15 years ago. Um, and bringing back the initial 13 dogs that sparked uh, this mission, which today we've now rescued over 16,000 dogs from puppy mills. So It's unbelievable. So I have to assume the fact that you got the email, people already knew that you were passionate about rescuing dogs, but did you have any idea, Teresa, that that you going and rescuing these dogs would turn into this amazing work that you're doing now? Did you did you have any idea that the depth and breadth of, of what would happen? Not in any way, shape, or form, actually. Um, this really just started on on pure passion. Uh, I had no idea what I was going to see and learn um, on that trip, that first trip out there. Um, really had absolutely no idea this was going to become any big deal. I just wanted to give uh, a voice to this population of dogs that most people really didn't even know existed. So back up and walk us through how, how you have gone about rescuing, saving, and rehoming 16,000 dogs. Are people, so first of all, let's talk a little bit about the issue in that you know commercially bred dogs we have a massive problem not just in this country but in many countries of animals being bred for com- commodity just to, to fill a need no regard for their well-being their welfare for their genetics whether for the love for their environment for their emotional well-being all of those things in one but i think i'm not entirely sure that people still realize that this is still going on. So can you oh, speak yes. a little bit, Teresa, to the effect that people think, oh, you know, the puppy mills were in the process of kind of they're winding down, but that is not necessarily true. Can you talk about the issue first 
Sure, absolutely. So, I mean, the issue, puppy mills are big commercial uh, breeding farms where dogs, uh, as Dr. Becker said, you know, the health and um, emotional well-being of the dogs is certainly not at the top of the list of importance. And it's more about, a, it's a, you know, it's a money-making proposition. The dogs lose, period. When you see the dogs in the pet store windows, those adorable little puppies, I really tell people it's so hard to resist them because they're so cute. Um, but the life their parents are living is not cute. Believe me, I'm in these places every month uh, and I have been for 15 years. And I absolutely believe from the bottom of my heart that people who truly love dogs would never in a million years want to support yeah. what the parents of these puppies live like. Their life is devoid of medical care, human contact. They basically live in small wire cages. And their job is to produce puppies when they can no longer do that, typically between five and eight years old, they're destroyed. So that's where we step in. And that's why that's what our mission is about getting in there before that happens to these dogs. And Teresa, do, do mill owners call you? And I mean, how do you, it's a little bit like working with, um, I don't want to say dark businesses. Some of them are USDA licensed. Some of them aren't. But you, in order for mill employees and owners to, to trust you and therefore to reach out to you to save these dogs, there has to be some level of communication and, and trust. How, how do you manage that very delicate relationship? You know, I really appreciate that question because it's part of what we do that, you know, a lot of people don't really understand the delicacy of that, maybe don't necessarily agree with it. Um, you know, the truth is this is the way to the dogs. There is no other way to the dogs. You have to work with the people who own the dogs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, unfortunately, nowhere is it written in their licensing requirements that, you know, they have to humanely euthanize dogs or, you know, retire them in any way. Basically, for the most part, the vast majority of these places, when, when the dogs are used up and can't make a profitable litter anymore, um, the vast majority of the dogs are destroyed. That's just the standard of the industry. The good news, though, is, and there is good news, it's changing. You know, I've been doing this now for 14 years. I've seen a lot of changes, positive changes, um, but there's still a long way to go. We are nowhere near past this problem. Mm -hmm. um, we're working on it every single day. Uh, we educate a lot, but people do need to understand that those puppies in the pet store window, their parents are paying a really, really high price yeah. to make it easy for us to go and get a puppy. Teresa, when you go in and, you know, rescue several dozen dogs from a, from a facility, those dogs then go in, do you have a, a network of foster homes? What happens then when these animals come out of these horrid situations? Of course, they need medical care and grooming and attention and nourishment. How do you, how do you care for, so, there's such a huge need. Do you, ha, is that met by a tremendous number of volunteers or how are you able to, how are you able to, to provide so much love for so many needing animals? That's a great question as well. And, and um, you know, in a million years, I could never have imagined how this organization would come forward. Um, there was a time not that long ago, the early days, the first five or six years, everybody in our organization was a volunteer. Mm -hmm. uh, I honestly, I don't really know how we did it. It was a lot of everybody doing everything under the sun. 
and over time, you know, you learn the areas you need to tighten up and become more uh, efficient. We now have 30 employees. Um, we have wow. a, our non-site veterinary clinic at our kennel. We house approximately 100 to 120 dogs at our kennel facility. We have a full veterinary staff. We're very, very fortunate to have uh, one of our longtime donors build an entire veterinary clinic, a full-blown wow. vet clinic for us to be able to take the kind of care these dogs need. So we've been extremely fortunate. We've worked really hard. We love dogs, you know, more than life itself. So uh, that recipe together, I think, um, has has put us on the map here where we are today. Do you find, do you find that that Pete, do you feel like in, in this chunk of time that you've been doing this, that the general public's awareness of this massive breed, overbreeding issue that we have going on, do you feel like, like we're making a dent in the educational process or do you feel like we have a long, long way to go? Really good question as well. You know, we are, we are making a dent. There's no question when, the, when, when this organization started back in 2007, I would say nine out of 10, maybe even 9.5 out of 10 people. So not very long ago, just less than 15 years ago, nine and a half out of 10 people never even heard the term puppy mill. So I would say that has improved tremendously, um, probably much in a pretty short amount of time over the last maybe 10 years you know, I would say five out of 10 people, maybe even six out of 10 people have heard and do know. Mm -hmm. The question is, does it change their behavior? (laughs) You know, that's where, I mean, we all can hear certain things and um, we don't want to turn a blind eye to this problem. Believe me when I tell you, if you love dogs, uh, you do not want the parents of of your dog to be living in this veritable hell just because, you know, it was easy for you to go get their puppies. So, um, so there's a long, a long way to, a long way to go on improvement, but we've come a very, very long way. And education, again, every time we do stuff like this and people hear, um, and they learn and hopefully it changes that behavior so we can be better to our dogs. You know what I have found, especially during the pandemic is that so the days of like, at least in, in my arena, the days of my clients going into a pet store, they know better now. Like they're not going to go in and buy from a pet store. However, puppy mills have gotten, in my opinion, incredibly stealthy, sneaky on reframing and repitching. A lot of people know better now because they've been through the heartbreak of a mill dog. They're not going to support a pet store per se. However, there are these puppy brokers online and there's people posing as rescues that are really puppy mill dogs. There's all these new and very deceptive ways that mill dogs are still getting into the general public. I just feel like the deception has increased. Can you speak to that a little bit about, because a lot of brick and mortar pet stores are no longer, but that does not mean that puppy mills are no longer. Can you speak to how other ways mills are getting their products of life into people's hands that may not be unknowingly aware that they are supporting a puppy mill? Sure, absolutely. So 
you know, there's a variety of ways that puppy millers sell their puppies. A lot of them have contracts with brokers and they're the ones that buy them and take them to the pet stores and stuff like that. But there are other ways. I, the internet, of course, is a big <laughs> uh, transporter of puppies. And, you know, yeah. also the very sad thing about the internet is, you know, you, and I know some of this because I've seen it, you can, you know, you can make a beautiful website with the labs running around the water and the grandchildren and, yeah, whatever. But the truth of the matter is, you know, anybody can do that. And, per, you know, you're, you're projecting a feeling about how you take care of your animals and what your facilities are like that people feel good about. So they buy your puppies. So, of course, these people are smart about that. You know, make a nice website, give people a good impression. Maybe they won't ask me all of those important questions. Those important questions, I mean, I can rattle yes. some off yeah, right Please here. do, yep, but, yep. You know, if you can't see where your puppy came from, don't buy the puppy, just don't. If anybody's discouraging you from meeting the parents of your puppy or seeing the environment it was raised in, that's a major red flag right there. Not to mention a good breeder wants to know who you are, who are the people that are taking on the, you know, bringing on the, taking on the life of the puppy I put on the planet, right? So they want to know that good breeders. They want you to see how they care for their puppies. The bottom line is run the other way. If you can't get those, those questions answered and even then be suspect. We have a group of breeders here in my area uh, who rent a house in town. And so when you go to see their puppies, you just think this is this nice people's house. And, um, you know, we, yeah. And it, it looks all just be suspect. You want to see yeah. the parents. You want to be sure they look healthy. They behave in a way that's friendly and social. Um, anybody who doesn't want to show you that is, is unscrupulous in my mind. So, yeah. And really above all of that, as I say all the time, uh, you know, I spent the first, since I was literally 10 years old volunteering in, in shelters. And, you know, these are animals that are already on this planet that are overlooked all the time. People think that every dog in a shelter has a major problem or is vicious or whatever. These are just simply myths. These are great dogs. Almost every dog I've had all my life came either from the shelter or the street. Yeah. And they've all been, you know, great long living companions. So always consider that uh, ahead of getting a puppy. You know, the other point that I think is really important to discuss is sometimes people's desire for a puppy so overwhelming that me in the back of their brain, they're like, gosh, I hope that I hope that this breeder is a good breeder. And yet, yeah, I, I tell people you need to go about planning. If you're going to spend money on a dog, I'm, I'm right there with you. They go to the shelter. I mean, above all, just go to the shelter yeah. and rescue one that really needs a home. But if you're going to shell out money, you have to, in my opinion, ethically, morally, you have no choice but to know in your heart that you are, that you're supporting a, a breeder that cares about the well-being of all of their dogs, including the genetic well-being. Uh, I just recently interviewed a veterinary behaviorist who talked about the epigenetics passed down in puppy mill dogs. And that when you have generation after generation of females that are overcome with fear and not on nutritious diets and live in a state of anxiety, that those traits are passed down to their puppies. And that we have this whole generation of anxiety behavior problem, purebred dogs coming out of mills because they're poorly bred, the, gene, the, the gene pools are not being compatibly arranged, not to mention the emotional and nutritional abuse that goes on. And her statement is, is people's, people will overlook 
and let go of their common sense because their desire for a puppy is so strong. And she said, you need to approach adopting a puppy like you would approach adopting a child. You would not ethically support, you could get children through unethical ways and you have to morally say, I'm not going to cross that line. And the same has to be true when we decide to spend money on a puppy. And so in this situation where you're, you are, you are, the end stage of that are these dogs who have literally been bred almost to death. And then they come out of these mills and you and your organization, giving them really a first, a, a first chance at truly living. And how, how are you placing after these dogs get appropriate medical care and are, have their basic needs met? Teresa, how are you going about finding homes? Do you, are you, is it an application process online or how are, if people hear this and think, my gosh, this is fantastic. I'd like to learn more about supporting you or adopting a rescued mill dog. How would they, how would they learn more? Yeah. So our website is, we're actually in a big website revamp, but it's, we have a very uh, informative website now Um, on our website. You can click on the adopt tab and and go through the requirements, what we require for our dogs. We, you know, our process, because of the background that um, that you were just talking about, with again, just devoid of, of much medical care and human contact, because of that, a lot of our dogs do come to us fairly shy. Sure. Uh, we have a really robust um, behavior and training program, incredible mm. volunteers and a really great leader on that team. Um, they are outside the box thinkers. Some of our dogs just need a little bit of time and some hands on them and they calm down and figure it out. And some of them are going to be year long or in some cases, even more rehab projects where, you know, that lack of socialization, that's that people ask me a lot, you know, do they beat these dogs? Why are they so timid? They don't beat them. They're in cages and you know, there's hundreds of them. So they don't, they don't spend their time beating the dogs, but the emo the beating the dogs take is an emotional beating. And it really Mm -hmm. just comes from, no contact with people, uh, which is really, really detrimental to them, you know, starting at a young age. So, so we give that back, but the beauty of these dogs, and and I mean, so many people say it, the mill dogs are just, their, their level of toughness is something unlike I've ever seen. And I've been involved in rescue all my life. They're just so mentally strong and such fighters, you know, so resilient. And, um, Placing them is, you know, not easy. Our process is not the easiest process under the sun. Some people don't like it too much, but, you know, we go to a great expense physically, financially, emotionally to get these dogs. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure we're doing right by them in the placement. So a lot of times people, you know, we have a lot of small breed dogs because puppy mills are full of all the little popular small breed dogs, Chihuahuas, Shih Tzus, Poodles, Maltese. And so you don't see a lot of those in traditional shelters. So people come to us, oh my gosh, you know, and it's like, well, you know, they're mill dogs. So they're not, they have, even though they're maybe five, 10 pounds, there's still some issues in there. So we work through all of that, you know, with our adopters and, you know, through the time the dogs are with us and even after they're adopted. So a very, very good success rate with our adoptions and, and honestly, could not be more grateful uh, to people out yeah. there who are willing to take dogs that may not be, you know, perfect or puppies. Yeah. Certainly, we don't deal with when puppy millers give us puppies. When you see puppies on our website, it's because there's something wrong with them. Yeah. Usually, they're giving us dogs and puppies that have heart murmurs or, you know, loose kneecaps or whatever. So yeah, 
Well, and, and God bless you for, for having very stringent adoption boundaries, rules, policies, whatever you want to call it, because I view these dogs, basically they're, they're, they're prisoners of war. They're, they're being released as prisoners of war. They've had some damage. They, they do have PTSD from their environment. So there will be a little bit of work. And what your organization is doing is making sure to the best of your ability that these animals are going into the appropriate home that is able to nurture them and recognize the issues that they have had, but also these dogs will not be recycled again. You want to get them in that forever home and keep them there. And so what you're doing by having really astute screening processes is is assuring that you're minimizing additional stress on these dogs. And I think that that's really commendable. 16 years of doing this is a lot of, on your part, a lot of witnessing things that are not even fathomable, but also a tremendous amount of success and joy in seeing the outcome. When you get up in the morning, what, what are you, what do you love most? What's the most impactful thing for you about what gets you up and keeps you going to do this another 20 years? A hundred little lives out on the prairie in our kennel. Um, Every single one of them. We care about every single dog we bring back here. We don't care how old, how broken. This is all, this is my heart and the heart of many of the PI. try to remind uh, everyone every day, you know, I didn't do this by myself. I've got a lot of incredible people by my side to help do this. Um, We wake up full, you know, we go to bed full at night. We wake up ready, ready to tackle another day, but our hearts are full every day. And I always say, the payoff for me, I'm on the rescue team. I've built the relationships with the breeders. So, you know, I deal with that side of, of the industry all the time. And, you know, just, just to be clear, they're not all demons. That's really just simply not true. We do work with some people who take very good care of their dogs and they're thrilled that we mm-hmm. exist as an outlet for their dogs. Cause out in the middle of the rural America, there's not, you know, endless numbers of homes. But then we have on down to the worst things you could ever imagine who, you know, no care whatsoever. We're not going to judge them. We're going to take every single dog, mm-hmm. no exceptions. Don't, you know, we don't say, oh, that one's 12 years old. We don't know. Actually, that's the one I want more than anybody. But, um, you know, it's a very, very fulfilling mission. It's extremely hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we, we rest easy at night and, uh, and we truly do love every single dog and want them, each, each dog we bring back here to experience what they never had, which is a, yeah. a, a family. It's, it's a fantastic, worthy, commendable mission. And I'm just so appreciative that you have put in this incredible hard work with your tribe, your team, your army of, of people that are committed to helping these dogs have from the, from rescue forward, a significantly better quality of life. I think that it's an amazing gift. If you, if you could let the world know one thing, Teresa, about this very important work that you're doing, what would it be? In my view, I've loved dogs all my life since I think that was, you know, since the minute I could walk, move, talk, dogs really captured me. So for me, um, you know, that's always been my passion. Dogs have always been my passion. Um, We all have the power to make a difference in whatever, you know, matters to us. 
I think this is a time when that's just important. You know, don't forget that. If yeah. I could do this, I'm a nurse. That's what I've done for 35 years. I've been a pediatric nurse. If I can do this and make this kind of a difference, anybody can. I had no background in any of this. Um, my background was dog lover. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you know, just to remember, we all have the power to make a difference. What you're doing right here, just sharing people's missions about animals makes a difference. We can, we all have the power to do that. It doesn't, doesn't take that much really. I well, am so thankful that Rose nominated you. I am in awe of what you're doing in terms of the number, the sheer number of dogs that you and your team have rescued and will continue to rescue making a, a big dent in the quality of life of mill dogs is just unbelievable. I'm so thankful to have been able to have this time and learning more about you and your organization. And I trust that me being able to help get the word out will provide more information, more awareness, but potentially more homes and more activism surrounding the very important topic of addressing mill dogs and how each of us have a responsibility in doing our part in making sure that we are not supporting those puppies preemptively, but doing everything we can on the backside of saving and rescuing those dogs that have been stuck in those deplorable situations. You're, you're living it and you're doing it. And we really appreciate your hard work. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. We're very rewarded and I'm very grateful.